and that's what we're here for. We are here to translate the science of nutrition into practical everyday um, practices and, and really help people implement that. Like we said, you know, a lot of these doctors are out here teaching the what, like what, are, what should we be doing and why, and we are here again to clear up that why, teach them and empower them with that information and how. We are all about how are we gonna do this? You know, I like to teach my patients, let's be healthy, lazy. Even if you do have SIBO and we have you on this protocol, how can we make this easiest for you? Okay, you know, instead of you boiling your kale every day, let's have you have frozen kale because when the ice crystals form in the kale, it's bursting the cell wall of that cellulose and the fiber, it's easier for you to digest. Okay, let's do more frozen vegetables then, rather than you, again, if you miss the farmer's market, buy it frozen. Um, so we like to teach our patients these easy, digestible, everyday, ways to implement. Hi there, veggie mates. You just heard from Dahlia Marin, half of today's power plant-based couple. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is episode 48 of the Veg Talk podcast. Welcome back to the show for the regulars, and welcome to the show if this is your first time tuning in. I hope you've had a great week, wherever you might be listening in from, and thank you for taking an hour or so out of your day to listen to the show. This week, I'd love to see where you listen to the show from, whether it be during the commute to work, out in nature, or whilst you're cooking up a plant-based feast in the kitchen. Try taking a photo and tagging VegTalk on Instagram. I'll be resharing all of them, and I reckon it'd be a bit of fun. So that's VegTalk, V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. Now let's shift our focus to this week's show. Today, we are chatting with registered dietitians, James and Dahlia Marin. They are based out of Newport Beach, California, and actually work with previous guest, Dr. Angie Sadeghi. These three make an awesome team. You'll hear about both of their struggles with food and weight in their early years, and how they met. We also cover the three layers to health, federal dietary guidelines, the influence of social media personalities, and of course, their specialty, the gut. We chat about the gut, from the perspective of both adults and children. For me, this was a truly fascinating conversation. I'd listen to this one with the notes application open on your phone, or if you're like me and a little old school, get the pen and pad out. This one is jam-packed with helpful info. If you'd like to check out James and Dahlia out on social media, head to their page at married to health or one word or lowercase. That's enough from me, folks. Enjoy the show, and I will wrap things up for you on the other side. Cool, we're rolling. We're, right. we're talking about Willy Wonka and the, the chocolate yeah. factory here with James <laughs> and Dahlia Marin. Our life is just food. Movies about food, work about food. We're all about food. food. Eating food. Eating food. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm in the right spot then. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of food as well. Nice. And um, for you guys at home, if you're interested and you don't know James and Dahlia, you can catch them on Instagram at Married to Health. At Married to Health. That's yeah. a that's a good place to to start off. But guys, thanks for the time today. We're, oh yeah, thank you. Thanks we're for coming. Fitting into your busy schedule. Yeah. So yes, yeah, sto- stoked to be here in in Newport Beach. Yes, you're in our office. Uh, seen lots of amazing people come in and uh, helping them, and it's great. I'm glad you guys are here too. Yeah. Awesome people. Cool. Let's uh, let's get into it. So I I like to start off like with the background of each guest and understand a little bit about where they come from and i mean you guys are a couple as well so your background how you met what you've studied any tangent you'd like to take this off on 
I'll let Delia go first so I can take more tangents at the end. So I always like to say I was my very own first patient. And so growing up, I was first generation here. My parents emigrated from Egypt. And so moving to the United States, you know, you have all these exciting types of ethnic foods. And so oftentimes both of my parents worked. We would eat takeout fast food, which ultimately very quickly led me to be an obese child. And I would go to my yearly doctor checkups and my doctor would just say, you need to lose weight. And I was like, well, you know, I like Cheetos, so no. Um, And then when I was 17 years old, I was having issues hearing. And so my mom took me to an ear, nose, and throat specialist who quickly pointed out that I had a large goiter, meaning my thyroid was very swollen and enlarged. And he asked if we ever noticed that and asked family history questions. And so, you know, we had a strong family history of Um, not only thyroid disease, but diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity. So he referred me to an endocrinologist. And in one single day after doing blood work, getting my results, they diagnosed me with an autoimmune thyroid condition, type pre-type 2 diabetes um, with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And basically a lot of it sprouted from my unhealthy lifestyle. So I was administered a couple different medications. I started taking them and that's basically their treatment plan. They were just they told me, take these medications, be on your way, good luck. We'll see you every couple months to maybe see how your medication's going, that's it. So, you know, I was a good patient. I did what the doctor told me. I took the medications initially for the first few months and somehow I felt even worse. (laughs) So, you know, being an obese, unhealthy, sedentary kid, you're not exactly feeling your best, but medication definitely compounded those symptoms, made me feel worse. I would wake up every day and I remember I would just wake up and say, ugh, like, Oh, I'm awake. <laughs> you know, I just didn't have any energy. I didn't feel good. I was 17. I should really be out there, be with my friends, but I felt awful. So I thought, okay, this is a life sentence because it was very drastic to me when receiving those diagnoses. It almost seems like a life sentence and being told you're probably going to take all these medications for the rest of your life. And if you ever want to get pregnant, you're going to need more medications because of your polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you know, it really had me down. And then one day I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) So I looked into what else I could do. And from there learned that nutrition could help. So very slowly, I just started changing into healthier habits, not even plant-based, not vegan, just wanted to eat a little bit healthier, stop drinking soda. I remember one year, my new year's resolution was to not eat fast food. Um, And then started college, started out as a psychology major, didn't love it, and at the same time was trying to help myself. So I took a nutrition class at a junior college and then really loved it, decided to switch my major because I loved it so much. And um, that's where I met James. Yeah, that's where I came into the picture. Yeah, Yeah, and then, then, yeah, progression from there. But to go back, I guess, for me, I mean, I was the quintessential 90s kid, you know, grew up in the early 90s and uh, eating all the Pop-Tarts and the toaster strudels and all this. It was like it was like an extravaganza of what crazy stuff could we come out with for kids to eat? I feel like in the early 90s and I was eating it all. And I remember having chocolate milk every day, ice cream every day, like sugary cereal every day. The amount of sugar I was probably eating on a daily basis was insane. And of course, I was morbidly obese. Uh, by third grade, I was about like 120 pounds, which we said was like 60 something. We looked it up. I think it was 55 kilos. 55 kilos, something it translates to. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was insane. And I, I did have these body 
issues, right? And I had joint issues and asthma and I was probably pre-diabetic, although no one probably told me, but very similarly, I would go to my doctor's visit and the doctor would be like, lose weight. And my mom would be like, oh no, and that's not right. And it would make me cry (laughs) and like, no, make me mad at the doctor. Like, how dare he tell me that and insult me, whereas he's trying to probably help me. and I think both parties weren't going about that correctly. You know, the doctor's like, oh, just stop eating fatty. And I'm over here extra sensitive and that would probably make me eat more, right? So I remember that emotional eating, watching lots of TV, being very sedentary. So fast forward to about sixth, seventh grade, I start to grow. You know, you go through puberty and you also have the sense of like, I can do something about this. I started exercising. I remember I I set up a bench set in my backyard and I was starting to lift weights and just exercise. And I saw that change from exercise and it translated also to food too. I was like, wow, if exercise can do this, food can do this. And I I remember really in high school, I I got a book. It was called Natural Secrets They Don't Want You to Know About. I have no idea how I came across this book. It was Justin Trudeau, no, uh, Kevin Trudeau was the author. And I think he's now like kind of a quack. It was kind of on the quackery side of it, but made very good points. It opened my mind as a high schooler, piqued my interest. Um, and that really set me on a path of like, wow, there's so much out there. I don't know. This guy, even though maybe he's not 100% factual, he's questioning. And I think I, that really sparked me to start questioning things. Of like, why are we eating what we, we're eating? Why do we do what we do? Why, why is everyone so unhealthy? Um, and so, yeah, and then that, that led me to want to become a physical therapist, looking more on the fitness side, and uh, ended up switching my major to nutrition because I was volunteering in a PT office. I saw the same old back injury, knee injury, shoulder injury, back injury, knee and it got me like, you know, there has to be more to this. Why, why are people getting injured? Why? You know, I was talking to my patient there more about food and, and not so much just, oh, do this exercise. And so I switched my major and went to nutrition, and I met Delia. Beautiful. And yeah. And, then and so when we met, there. yeah, <laughs> it was really James because, again, he, he was this person and has always, since I've known him for the last 10 years, been this person who just questions things and always wants right. more information and always, again, wants to look at the why behind everything that's going on. And so mm. one day he was like, hey, I read this book <laughs> called The China Study. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading this book. I heard about book. this book and it's yeah. really good. Yeah. So he started reading it and, you know, we're both healthy as we thought and as we were learning in school and we're learning right. the usda food plate or at that time i think it was a food pyramid um and so we also were like okay we're eating low carb high protein high veggies and yeah. you know feeling better but still not our best and so right. james started reading the china study and we started talking about it and then shortly after forks over knives came out and we decided okay this research really makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really transitioned into that vegan plant-based lifestyle for health reasons. And that Mm -hmm. was our motivation initially, first and foremost. And then we started both feeling the benefits in ourselves. Um, I know for myself, yeah, I I had that polycystic ovarian syndrome and it started to alleviate a lot of the symptoms that I was having with heavy cycles Mm -hmm. and mood swings. And, you know, I made the choice to get off my uh, birth control pill and then my pre-diabetes went away and I lost. And I'll comment, ever since I met you, she's had GI issues. Mm -hmm. So everything would blow her just always. And if we'd eat out at school or eat out on the weekend, it was always like, oh, my stomach, oh, oh, always, always, always. 
And so, yeah, other things were getting better, but that, that GI issue was still there. And mm-hmm. so that, that was an important aspect. And, and then to speak on kind of school, school, you know, taking statistics, taking research methods, taking advanced nutrient metabolism, it just sparked our questioning even more. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, wow. And like, it just, we were just digging down the rabbit hole full force by then. We started seeing Dr. Greger speak at little churches. At that time, he was speaking at tiny little Seventh-day Adventist church. We'd go out and go check him out. We met meet him and like little tiny events. Now look at he was like on what mm. he was on uh, MSNBC, MSNBC and all that Regis and or not Regis. I'm so outdated with that. I don't watch TV, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> one of, whatever one of those morning, of those morning shows, but um, but yeah, it's so cool. But. I remember that early on and just sparking our interest. And as we were learning, it was like, it just made sense. It, it correlated so well. Um, and we just kind of transitioned into it. We were like, okay, well, none of us like, neither of us like beef. Let's not eat that. And then we would cut out, you know, chicken slowly. and eggs and fish and made that transition. It probably took us about a year, year and a half to make that transition. And that into was a vegan diet. Yeah. Right. Eight years ago now. So ago. it's been a great journey for us. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That is so, it, it's cool to hear. <laughs> You know the the whole background story, and now seeing where you are now, right? Yeah, it's it does feel like it's full at least exactly from the outside looking in. It really is a full circle thing for you two. Yeah, oh, in yeah. so many ways, because like I said, my first intro into nutrition was that class at that junior college, and I ended up a couple years ago teaching that class there as yeah. an instructor. <laughs> so that was so just. That felt like such a complete, perfect circle for me. And then Mm -hmm. recently, last month, Dr. Angie, who's our partner here, and we'll get into that, spoke at that same Seventh-day Adventist church where we first saw Dr. Gregor. Like 10 years ago or something. It was so crazy. That little Seventh-day Adventist church. In so many ways, our journey has come full circle. And we Mm -hmm. just look forward to continuing to make these great circles and open our circle up even more. And it really Mm -hmm. has over the years. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, that is awesome. It's funny as well. You know, of all the the things that you said in that intro, the first book that you mentioned, uh-huh. I just I went on this massive run on Sunday night for uh-huh. I'm doing a marathon training at the moment, oh. and I listened to a podcast, Plant Proof, uh-huh. with Simon Hill, and he had the mindful diabetic guys yeah. on, yeah. and one of them Mastering I diabetes. can't remember, mastering diabetes, Robbie and, Robbie and Cyrus, Cyrus. exactly, uh-huh. exactly. And one of them said the exact same thing. No way. <laughs> what got so them funny. into I it who, I gotta was talk that. To Robbie. I want to text them. Was that book? <laughs> and I think he quickly followed with like, I meet, I like, I do not recommend this book. <laughs> yeah, um, I do not recommend that book. Yeah, yeah I, don't. I think he said the guy went to to jail for I a, feel like a period of time. I gotta look it up. I guess yeah, I mean, I, I didn't look it up. I should have, right. but. Um, more back getting back to what you were saying is it gets you on that path of questioning things and all you know whatever happened to that guy it's probably not the the real issue here it's Mm -hmm. going down the path of going okay why am i like this like Mm -hmm. what what is contributing yeah exactly exactly and this is and this is always what we say is is there's this weed growing right and there and it starts maybe with headaches or feeling fatigued and bloating and gas and uh, so it's these branches growing and and unfortunately we focus so much like allopathic medicine and western medicine we're focusing on the branches mm-hmm. and we're saying use this type of saw for this branch no use this type of other gardening tool for this branch yeah. and 
and we're not saying why is this even growing what about the roots why what's the soil condition like to grow this mm -hmm. you know we're looking at the symptoms we're not looking at root causes and Absolutely. That, that's the main thing when i say that to some patients i could see them go oh my gosh like <laughs> it just kind of unlocks a chakra or something mm -hmm. or like unlocks a thought process of like yeah that makes so much sense and that's essentially what our journey yeah. has been it's a series of those like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah and mm -hmm. you just kind of compounds and it overflows and you can't keep it in anymore and you got to open your own practice yeah. and you got to do it different and, and help people in this journey that we've been on we've really explored not only of course evidence-based research and right. implemented that and taken the best of western allopathic medicine because absolutely there always is a time and a place oh, for yeah. it and sometimes that is the best choice for you but I know for me mm -hmm. I've done training in functional medicine functional nutrition I've worked with naturopathic doctors and functional medicine doctors totally. and absolutely see the value in that type of Eastern medicine and really that prevention or going back in depth and like Jane said trying mm -hmm. to connect these dots trying to find the root cause and so my patients are always really surprised I always tell them I'm going to be the nosiest provider you've ever seen. I'm going to really mm -hmm. ask you these uncomfortable questions and really take you back. I'm like, so tell me your health story. That's always my first question for my patients. Tell me your health story. What brought you into my office? What are your mm -hmm. greatest goals? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I started getting bloated five years ago. And I'm like, well, what about when you were five? You yeah. know, how was your health when you were a child? Were you sick often? Did you, did you take a lot of antibiotics? Did your mom have a vaginal delivery? I asked them that. Yeah. Were you a C-section <laughs> delivery or right. were you vaginal? Were, were you breastfed? How long were you breastfed? Um, and so all those things matter. And so patients oftentimes are like initially taken back. Like, why are you asking me this? This is intrusive. Or sometimes right. they don't even know. But as we continue peeling back the layers of their onion, they start to see, oh, shoot, you know, I drank a lot of milk as a kid. Yeah, I was C-section birth. I wasn't breastfed. I was formula fed. Mm -hmm. I drank a lot of milk. I always had ear infections. I yeah, that's a so big one. I many antibiotics. I hear that so often. I started having gut issues when I was 10. You know, my parents right. would say my stomach always hurt. And we tend to see that progression, but it's so important mm -hmm. instead of just with allopathic medicine throwing a pill at every ill to really peel back those layers and find out the why the root right. really get to that bottom root cause that etiology of what brought them here and how we can dig them back out of that hole and give them a realistic time frame so do we call that like reductionist is where we're at right. mm. it's just like segregating yes. everything and looking at it on its own rather than this it's you know extremely dangerous whole the right. whole approach right yes. And it's where, you know, the top three chronic diseases, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer in the United States, they're all connected. They're not separate diseases. It's a, and that's why if you have one, you're at risk for the others because they're not separate. And so to think they are, and I mean, I get it. We have to go to different specialists because one doctor can't do it all. And I get that's very difficult to do. But to, to think these diseases in your body are separate, it's like, you know, it's a little bit, it's part of this bizarre world. It's part of this backwards thinking of even many doctors out there saying nutrition doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Whoa, wait, what? So yeah. it's, it's all part of that same thinking. It's very dangerous. And we're, there's still pockets, no doubt in, you know, in the, in the world of doctors where we, we so often come like ready to believe all information we hear in a session. And it might be what? five, 10, 15 minutes max. I mm -hmm. haven't yeah. been to the doctor in a while. So, right. um, but we, 
yeah, we're ready to absorb all the, all the information that they're, they're willing to give us, but we don't really know their full credentials or yeah. what they have learned in the past. And nutrition is often one thing that is kind of pushed to the side in school. So mm-hmm. I suppose that kind of brings me into a, a question I do have. When you were at school, mm-hmm. both of you, you know, digging down that rabbit hole, you know, mm-hmm. you've read, there's no better place to start than T. Colin Campbell and the China study and right. Gregor, you know, two guys mm-hmm. that, you know, can really change the way you oh, look yeah. at food, nutrition and science. Were you getting pushback from your peers in class absolutely yeah yeah. we're trying to share this very compelling evidence and this research and we were oddballs in school amongst Mm -hmm. others who are learning about nutrition and dietetics and going into the major you don't really understand what it's going to entail Um, what we were taught was very compartmentalized nutrition it was okay a cancer patient needs more protein this is how you calculate their protein needs this is how you're going to calculate caloric density for this type of condition a diabetic you need a carb count for someone with hyperlipidemia high cholesterol you need to teach them how to count their fat never putting all of the pieces together and spending actually very little time or not as much time as you would think learning about actual food and again connecting all those different conditions together and understanding that oftentimes that same patient who is diabetic who you're teaching carb counting they're suffering from comorbidities right they also have high blood pressure they also have high cholesterol they're also chronic kidney disease and that oh my gosh the renal diet is one of the most backwards diet Mm -hmm. and that that's one that made me so angry of once i learned more outside of college i remember learning about the renal diet and it's so complicated and for, for many of you that don't know, when you have these the chronic kidney disease, you go through different stages and it's based on your kidney function and they put you on like a low phosphorus, low calcium. It's all these electrolytes and, and minerals that you have to watch out for because it puts strain on the kidney. You're low protein, then you're high protein. Low protein, then high. And it's so Look complicated. And oh my gosh, it couldn't be further from the truth of what people need. And a lot of times chronic kidney disease comes from a complication of diabetes. Mm-hmm. I say most And they're often. suffering from all the, the entire gamut. But we right. not only got pushback from our peers because, again, we were different from them. We were challenging what right. we were being taught. And we were really questioning all the different guidelines that we were taught to implement with patients and teaching our own different ways. Um, right. And even going on to internships and before we became dietitians, you have to complete this 2000 hour internship. And so in the hospital, oh, I remember at that time, <laughs> uh, I think it was Prop was 57. It was the time where we were voting Prop. on GMOs to label GMOs. And I remember I would no. get into debates with the my preceptors, the dietitians who I was shadowing at the hospital. And they were like, no, that's BS. Like, don't don't play into that. That's propaganda. They're trying to scare us against fearing food. And I was like, no, dude, <laughs> our food is being adulterated, right? Totally. We, we shouldn't be ingesting mm-hmm. all of these chemicals. Look at how chronic disease is on the rise. So I think we've always kind of been the ones who are like, wait, this doesn't seem right. There can't mm-hmm. be this blanket that you're applying to everyone for every different condition. We have to be able to connect the dots. We have to be able to op- right. and offer more. And more importantly, and, and we're, we're a form of a scientist, right? And any mm-hmm. health professional, you're a scientist. You learn science. Any scientist who's okay with 
with just settling on something. We're saying the science is settled. The on science this. is settled. The like, oh, this is what we book. do. <laughs> a A B C D E. Mm. It's like no, that that's not science at all because you're constantly asking questions. You're mm -hmm. constantly trying to fix or do it better Coming or up with learn new something hypotheses new or experimenting or. And seeing was, what's the latest right. and greatest and having that mentality that reductionist or that abc or that this is black and white is the least scientific thing you could do and in, in our opinion mm -hmm. and and this goes i'm going to go on a little tangent here because it, it's perfect timing right now is the uh we're getting ready for the 2020 uh dietary guidelines so the meetings are going on right now you can make public comment and things like that and this is where it all comes from this is where these guidelines are important not because americans follow them because we know they really don't it's not so much americans follow it they don't go oh i can't wait till the 2020 guidelines come out but it sets the stage of these different whether it's neop program or these government funded the agencies like WIC, the school lunch program hospitals what dietitians learn in school are coming from these guidelines and make no mistake just like i can say this with pure confidence our the u.s government is corrupt I can say that with confidence. These guidelines are completely corrupt as well. They're very heavily industry funded and influenced. And oh. every industry has, again, lobbyists and, and funders. Right. And uh, you want, they want more dairy on our plate. They want more meat on our plate. Everyone's you know. lobbying for their own, agenda, their own agenda. And this is where, you know, selfishness and greed and, and everyone's personal problems come into play because, again, we're human. We're, we fall prey to these, you know, natural human instincts and not looking at the bigger picture and not saying, wow, these guidelines are really impactful. They're looking at what's my company's earnings going to be next quarter. And it becomes this very selfish yeah. uh, type of I don't know, environment. But And we yeah. try to empower patients with that information <laughs> and really empower them when they say, oh, eating healthy is too expensive. Or I was feeling great when I was eating healthier, but I couldn't afford it anymore. So now mm -hmm. here I am wasting my time, energy, and money at the doctor with you, at the dietitian with you, spending money on medications Ugh. without really feeling empowered to vote with their fork, really. Like I teach them really every mm -hmm. meal is your opportunity to vote with your fork. If you're buying junk food, you're making junk food cheaper. If you're buying healthy food, you're making fruits, vegetables, you know, grains, nuts, seeds, and legumes, you're making that cheaper. And we're starting to see that trend also with oh, yeah. organic, right? Costco is now the largest retailer in, in the nation of organic, organic food. And so we are demanding more. And we so are. we're starting to see food prices come down. And, and this is where I'll down. segue into what we have is our three layers of health, right? You have the inner body, the outer body and the outer environment. So those are the big three layers of health. And this is where you start with what you eat. Mm -hmm. You start with what you buy. What are you putting into your body? The water you drink. Then it, it goes out to what do you put on your skin? What shampoo are you using? Things like that. But it, it's, you know, you think of it like a rock going into a lake and having this ripple effect because what you eat, if you start to eat clean and you're eating more conscious, you're putting that out into the ether. You're telling these companies that are doing good that you're supporting them. And it, it shows, again, whether it's organic or whether it's sustainably, you know, there's companies now using only wind and solar power. There's companies using, you know, hemp and sustainable bamboo. So when you support that for your inner, it goes to the outer. Mm -hmm. And even then, once you feel good with your inner and your outer, we challenge you to get political. We challenge you to go to your city council meeting. Are they spraying Roundup on your streets? Because they are. Uh, are they, you know, whatever else they're doing, right? Are they passing policies in schools that you don't agree with? 
And so we challenge you to keep going like the ripple effect in the water. Petitioning for that community garden, teaching right. others around you with what makes you feel great. And I think we just need more of that sense of community. I think as this right. nation, we're all very, we're all about me, right? It's what's best for me. It's what's going to do best for me. But not realizing that what's best for me is best for you, best for all of us together. So really bringing that mm -hmm. sense of community back with food at the center right. of it. And when we do this too, and, and when I get people really angry and really fired up about doing this, also keep in mind that the true cost of a burger or a can of soda or a sugary cereal is much more than we think because there are people who have lobbied and petitioned against the, their very own population to say your tax dollars are going to subsidize this cheap unhealthy food. So you have something called the farm bill. So I challenge everybody to research the farm bill and it's a bill that says we're going to take your tax dollars and subsidize crappy food Corn, to make you sugar, sick. Soy. So really that dollar menu item is not a dollar. That sugary cereal, that Pop-Tart or whatever is not 99 cents. It, it's $50 because it. mm -hmm. we prepaid for it. And really when we do this, when we do this, these three layers and you get active politically, you can change that. We can make kale three cents if we want, right? We can make organic food the cheapest food possible. Because again, if the 2020 dietary guidelines reflect that truly, why isn't our government subsidizing organic healthy diverse food to make people truly healthy maybe because our government is making tons of money off people not being healthy and that's what needs to stop yeah that's huge plenty to unpack there i mean oh yeah <laughs> the, the first thing that comes to mind when we're talking about uh, dietary guidelines is canada right mm -hmm. and yes. what they've been able to do mm -hmm. oh yeah now i don't know in depth you know what processes they took to take dairy off the plate um, you know, I'll tell you, really, it's go really ahead, simply. please. The, the main step they took to take dairy off their plate. So again, for those of you that don't know, Canada's dietary guidelines remove dairy. It's not there. Uh, the simple step they took was they didn't look at industry funded research. That's it. And that's huge because it creates a bias. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a million and one ways that you can design a study to show you the result you want. And that's why you have so many conflicting articles out there and pieces of science out there because, again, when they're industry-funded, you can skew the results, you can skew the data in your favor, which is why you find studies in support of keto and Atkins and paleo and, you know, plant-based and all these different types of diets and lifestyles because, again, who's funding the study? Was it a well-designed study, which I think many people aren't trained in identifying oh if God. it's a well-designed study what were the actual outcomes how large was the group that they studied and really looking at those little nuances of these and I the think data that people are and referencing and, and a quick example on that too is one of like with cholesterol saturated fat they'll design a study where standard american diet versus a, a diet with more eggs and so what they do is they'll say okay this diet we're going to reduce the bacon and the carne asada and these other saturated meats, replace it with eggs. That's the experimental group, right? So then they're replacing other saturated fat foods and cholesterol and replacing it with some eggs versus the control group that's eating more of the carne asada and the standard American diet, the other meat items. They go, look, eating eggs reduced your cholesterol or had no effect on cholesterol. But if you actually understand what the what groups are, it it's like, well, both groups are still eating the same amount of animal products they've just they just replaced some with egg and showed oh look there's no difference mm -hmm. so it's things like that there's tons of studies like that that are being done 
and if people but again most americans don't they didn't take research methods right <laughs> they, they didn't take statistics they, they don't have that background so for them they see the headline in whatever time or whatever outlet and they just go with it and that's why it's so important for us to create that platform that we have on instagram because in the office yes we can help people but we are helping few on instagram we can help many and share that credible information because we're in the age now where really as dietitians i would say our profession is being threatened by all these influencers and everyone's a nutritionist especially depending on the state you're in a lot of people don't realize actually there are a handful of states still California where we live being one where dietitians aren't licensed professionals we are certified but we're not licensed which gives a lot of leeway to anyone who wants to call themselves a nutritionist here Mm -hmm. so everyone's a nutritionist there's very little um, there's very little regulation and notoriety noted between a nutritionist and a dietitian so people are confused they go to their nutritionist who tells them, yeah, you need to um, food cycle or you need to, um, you know, food combine or you need to do this or you need to do that. And they're like, well, you know, I, I saw a dietitian and they were terrible. Well, no, you didn't. You saw a nutritionist um, right. who wasn't trained in, in researching science. But again, people are following these influencers because you only see the perfect two seconds of their day you see that best picture they took or you see oh they look great and healthy i want to look like them and you don't know what they're doing they might be doing water fasts or colonics or all of these again unscientific unsafe things to garner that outcome and then you're seeing now more influencers are coming out and saying oh you know i'm vegan wrecked my health i'm no longer vegan because it destroyed my health well, it was probably all those other crazy things that you did that right. contributed to that. Um, and you might have been, again, more vegan than plant-based. Or, you know, you might not have been following actual scientific data. So we are very passionate about sharing the evidence and really taking the why and talking about the how and really putting that out there of, okay, this is what the data shows. This is what all these amazing doctors who are out here are showing. We're going to teach you how to implement that and make it great and easy for you and your family because we've gone through it ourselves and we've come out on the other side where we're no longer suffering from disease. You know, I had a very healthy, successful pregnancy um, that was plant-based. I didn't have any issues with my hormones. They say there's no cure for polycystic ovarian syndrome, but mine's undetectable. Um, So I'm cured. Um, You know, I no longer have pre-diabetes or any issues I didn't have any issues when I was pregnant but again I really followed evidence-based guidelines and that is what got me my outcome yeah and, that, and that's what we're trying to show on our social media is not just the perfect we're trying to be more conscious of that but show Keep that we're, we're <laughs> health professionals we're plant-based health professionals we're plant-based parents And there's days that, you know, they're not so good. And let's try and keep it as real as possible because Instagram is 90% a good day. It's all everyone's good day posted and shared. And it's like, it's not like that all the time. So we try and give you the real info and the real life and show that you can do it. No, it's it's definitely a cool thing. I mean, whenever we're talking about social media, there's always the positives and the negatives, right? Mm -hmm. I think they go they go both ways. But seeing more health professionals that we can trust mm-hmm. online it is an amazing part of, of Instagram. Yeah. Um, I suppose the hardest thing for people is knowing who to trust. Because oh, yeah. as we were saying just before, you might end up with a, you know, a, a dietitian who is a blogger. Or, yeah. And they don't have background coach. in researching, you know, or like sifting through the data basically right Mm -hmm. they don't know how to how to do that how to tell between an industry-funded study versus 
totally. you know, a double blind trial, wh- whatever the sure. lingo is. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. So I suppose what are your best tips for finding someone that you can trust or finding a group of people that mm-hmm. you can trust? Looking for those who cite their studies, cite their research. If you have someone who's, you know, telling you things and they're never saying where they're getting that information, they're not citing any studies, um, then again, ask them, where did you get this information? Is this credible? They should be able to answer you. If they can't answer any of your questions, if they're not able to provide you with any of that data where they're making these claims, question that. Maybe ask, okay, is this credible? Is this evidence-based? Right. And, and yeah, I would say overall, like, again, not looking at it reductionist, you know, it, it, you can say, I don't like reductionist thinking, which is that narrow minded thinking. But if you're just looking at this person's Instagram, you're being reductionist. Mm-hmm. What does their website say? Where do they practice? Where do they go to school? What it, take all that into account? Be asked questions, just like we're saying. That's, that's, I think the overall message is ask these questions and find out what this person is doing as a whole and take all that and into why account. they're doing it does this right. person have an instagram because they're trying to sell you a detox program or because they're trying to sell you supplements or because right. they're getting something out of you following them and hanging on their every word or is it someone who is just trying to share credible information it might be someone who's doing a little bit of both and if that's credible knowledge then that's fine yeah. you know um but again what are they getting out of you following them you always want to question that um and that's going to really help you follow that paper trail mm-hmm. cool yeah we kind of have to do our own research do our due diligence and Take that big picture into account definitely definitely also back to the the guidelines do you see anything changing with the american guidelines in you know i know there's, there's a big push shout out for switch for good if you guys don't follow them switch for good on and instagram Dotsie, Dotsie, Dotsie and dr garth davis yeah they're they're um and and dr pam popper um, they're, they've been going to the meetings. They're really involved. They're making a big push to get dairy out of our guidelines. Like Canada can do it. We're their American cousins. We can do it too. Right. And so. they had such a good point that they made that dairy is racist because right. such a large subset of different ethnic populations are lactose intolerant. So really putting that in the guidelines, forcing that into schools and into hospitals and other government funded programs is in essence it's racist it's not considering that a majority of our population we say we're this melting pot and we're so proud of how ethnically diverse we are here in the united states well our dietary guidelines should also reflect that so i absolutely i would say you know we hope to see that change coming um based on the past we don't know how far in the future it will be but we are starting to see more plants make their way onto the plate. We are starting to see that not only the USDA, but the um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the governing body over dietitians, Mm -hmm. they are starting to endorse and acknowledge that a properly planned plant-based diet, vegan or vegetarian, is completely safe for adults and children. They are starting to put out meal plans that are plant-based. And so we are starting to see that there's the option available um, on the pl- on the American um, guidelines, on the USDA guidelines, but if we see dairy move out, I don't know. That's TBD. That's to be determined. I yeah, hope so. Hope but so. I'm there's a lot of money on, in dairy. Yeah, keen to keep <laughs> my eyes on it for sure. Um, yeah, I hope so. I really do because, like, we although so. you said that people may not people may not follow the guidelines, like that we yeah. we typically don't, but 
uh, it's important that the people that kind of forward that information on in a professional setting have some better tools in their in their toolbox to say, hey, you know, dairy's actually not recommended anymore. We should probably yeah. get you off that and, and start shifting to more plant-based version, uh, you know, sources of, of calcium. Totally. For, for yeah. example. And especially, and again, even if you're not vegan or plant-based and you're, you just love the environment, you're an environmentalist, maybe you're a hiker, you love to, even if you go fishing or you love the ocean, whatever you do, if you're an vi- environmentalist, you should want dairy off the plate as well. Because again, going back to our school food system, which is so broken, dairy's on there. They're giving them a pack of chocolate milk or white milk. Most kids will throw it away, not finish it, but they just have to give it to them on their plate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what happens after that. The kids could literally throw all the food in the trash can, which 40 to 60% of it does end up in the trash can. So you're getting this highly, I mean, the huge carbon footprint of this milk. You know, it's it's super uh, unsustainable. And then it's being thrown in the trash most of the time. So it's like and now for kids to, if they are lactose intolerant or even allergic to dairy, they have to have a note from their doctor for them yeah. to opt out of it, which is crazy. You can't just say, no, thank you. I don't want it. You're forced to take it. Right. Um, it's wild. Yeah, I've definitely crazy. heard that. I've heard that it has to be offered. It does. Has to be offered. I'm not 100% sure on whether you actually have to consume it, but it, no. it has to be offered. It has to be, it has to be taken. Offered okay. and put on their plate. So Got there's it. a certain requirement for the uh, whole grains, for the fruits, the vegetables, the oh dairy. Yeah. So basically following the my plate. It has to be on their plate. They have to take it. They could throw it away, though. Most kids do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll yeah. definitely keep an eye on that. And, yeah, yeah, try and keep the listeners updated on what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in addition to what you were talking about before, it's nice having, like, a group of plant-based doctors that yes. you can find online. Yeah. Um, also, the... Um, Kim Williams the mm-hmm. cardiology head yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he's got some like a quote out there that's like you know there's cardiologists that promote a plant-based diet because or there's ones that don't because they haven't read the data I've butchered right. that yeah, quote yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> butchered it but uh-huh. it's a really powerful one for cardiologists yeah. out there mm-hmm. because it's like okay this guy's the head of you know cardiology yeah. in America mm-hmm. and he's saying that I should be promoting a plant-based diet. And if I am not, then I'm kind of like uneducated. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, he's doing, he's doing amazing work as well. So right. as a whole, yeah. I think you guys are doing a, you know, a really good job of promoting plants and, and getting the, the message out there. And we're trying to stay connected with other amazing doctors who are doing the same. Like we said, you yeah. know, in our practice here in Newport Beach, we are partners with Dr. Angie Sadegi, who's an amazing right. gastroenterologist. Yeah. And we find that patients seek her out, not only because she's so well known and she puts so much great information out there, but again, they've seen three other gastroenterologists, a functional medicine doctor and a naturopath, and they come here and she's like, oh, well, you're actually lactose intolerant (laughs) that was your problem all along you took 20 supplements and did all these procedures but you were lactose intolerant so it's amazing to be able to work on a daily basis with such an amazing doctor and again really see her promoting at least more plants recommending either go on a plant-based diet or just eat more plants because we do hear from so many of our patients whether it was here or in prior practices that we were part of that 
no, nutrition doesn't matter. You have colitis or Crohn's or you have SIBO Ugh. and that's Ugh. just your body. Nutrition has nothing to do with it. So it's yeah. so amazing to see these doctors take the time to educate themselves outside of their traditional training because as you mentioned before, they are not trained in nutrition. There's either zero or maybe five or 10 hours in their entire you know, several year history of education um, that's devoted solely to nutrition and again we have put doctors on this pedestal and we expect for them to know everything to be this jack of all trades and know how to treat every single disease and you know a lot of doctors know their 12 medications that they prescribe and after that they're going to be like well i don't know go see go see the specialist or go see that specialist so it's nice to see that people are going to these specialists and hearing this great message of plants protect plants heal so being at the root you know Hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut. And so we love getting to that root because like that I said, we're so always amazing. the why. Let's talk about the gut then. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah. Let's get a to the gut. It's a good segue. <laughs> so um, you know, basically I'd just before we get into it, I'd love to hear how you got on that road of getting to, you know, specifying with gut issues. And yeah. then we can start hearing about some of the most seen, most commonly seen gut issues that you guys are coming across i'll start yeah so i was um i think we've always kind of loved the gut we always realized the gut was was amazing it was like the epicenter of everything but uh i really we started getting into the parkinson's community so those with parkinson's typically have ibs they have some underlying gut issues and because it's a SIBO, a, 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 a neurological disease you know, what I always tell my patients or what we tell our patients too is, you know, you're not controlling your small intestine right now, right? You're not like, oh, my small intestine's moving. Okay, I'm moving it to the right, I'm moving it. It's like, no, it's, it's automatic. It's part of your nervous system. It's the autonomic nervous system, right? So you're not controlling that. So when you have nerve damage or, or type of uh, neurological disease, it's very common you have GI issues, right? So in that, we, we came across Dr. Sadegi because we shared a mutual patient. And Dr. Sadego is talking to this patient and she's like, yeah, I'm seeing a dietitian. And Dr. Sadego is like, oh gosh, a dietitian. Who is this person? What are they telling you to <laughs> How do? How much dairy are they telling you to eat? <laughs> and, and we had been, again, we had been using plant-based diet for diabetes and we see people with kidney issues kids. and we're seeing, again, Parkinson's and kids. And we had developed something called like a reverse elimination diet, right? Where we were saying, we're not going to take away the fiber, like put you on a low residue diet or put you on this crazy elimination diet. We're going to do the reverse of that and take away risky foods one by one. So we started with kind of taking away risky foods at the same time, adding healthy foods. So we would say, add more plant foods, take away the dairy, add more plant foods, take away all the steak, right? Mm -hmm. And so... At the same time, we had this patient, and it was it was really cool to meet Dr. Sadegi, but you want to... And I was, at the same time, kind of on my own elimination diet, reverse elimination and, right, diet. Because exactly. like James mentioned, you know, I had all these other diagnoses, but I had gut issues for a long time. Right. It was rare that I would eat and not say my stomach hurts. So mm-hmm. I lived through that for years, and treating my own autoimmune disease and doing this elimination diet for my autoimmune disease... Right helped alleviate a lot of symptoms I felt in my gut. And so that to me was the first inclination of, oh, the gut really matters. And then, you know, just in the last two years, we've produced over 50% of the research that's available on the gut microbiome. So the gut is really up and coming. And so on the forefront of that, like James said, at that time we were working with Parkinson's patients and I was working in a pediatric clinic and then went on to work, um, like I said, in more functional naturopathic medicine. Um, So I did get the chance to really learn more about the gut in depth while I had that experience. And then James was doing his own research too 
And so take this. It's like a perfect storm of all this positivity. We meet Dr. Sadegia, a plant-based gastroenterologist, <laughs> right? So it was just like a beautiful union coming together. She literally, when when our mutual patient said, oh, he's plant-based, she literally was like, call him right now. During the visit. <laughs> During the visit. <laughs> I get a call. I, I remember, too. I was at home. I think I was like in bed on my laptop, like working or something. Uh, I get a call. And I'm like, hello, I didn't recognize the number. Hi, this is James, you know, my, my answering. And uh, hi, this is Dr. Sadegi, and introduces herself, blah, 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 tells me, oh, I'm here with your p- mutual patient. I'm like, oh, hi. They put him on speaker, hi, we're all saying hi. And we just, from there, we've been inseparable, right? We, we connected, we exchanged. What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, you're doing that? Oh, what? And I remember we went to go meet with her, though, and yeah. James was like, oh, I'm meeting this doctor. You want to come with me? And I was like, sure. And she mentioned something of, look me up on Instagram. So we're driving there, and I look her up, and I'm like, James, <laughs> this lady's really big. She yeah, has like I was like, 50, oh, wow. Like she, I didn't know yeah. who she was before we met her the first time. Yeah. So we were familiar no at that offense, time. Dr. Like, <laughs> 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 no offense, Dr. Sadegi. No, but yeah. it's just amazing how, yeah, we flourished and really brought up this relationship just, in the last couple of years. It was just like a, like it all made sense. And this, mm-hmm. and again, this doctor-dietitian relationship where she is, I mean, she's doing still the colonoscopies and endoscopies, and she's she is there with that knowledge of medicine and and Western medicine, which is so important. And then, but she also has this beautiful knowledge of hormones and passion and for passion nutrition. For nutrition, and then we're just kind of that beautiful team that then helps the patients further that right. And so we've had so many patients who are like, she said I had to come see you because she won't give me the medication until I try to change my diet in some cases if it's not very severe. And then they end up not needing it or wanting it because they do so well just eating healthier. Lifestyle. Lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so um and we're we're developing this now. Now we are we're kinda we're gonna be coming out with this very soon is is we're coming out with a campaign against the low residue diet, right? So those that aren't familiar, you hear this from your doctor about a low residue diet, and that's based on low fiber diet. Low seeds, low nuts, low. They say, oh, that's going to cause your diverticulitis or diverticulosis. Crohn's is going to flare with fiber, and so we're doing the opposite. Actually, we put Crohn's into remission. We reverse this different itises, gastritis, diverticular, all this itises with a high residue diet, high fiber diet. Because anytime anyone has a diagnosis that ends in itis, what they don't realize is itis means inflammation. And so any of these inflammatory diseases are always going to be improved or put into remission with the right anti-inflammatory diet, which is a high fiber diet. diet. So, and and really it makes no sense whatsoever where Americans are on a low fiber diet to begin with, (laughs) right? We're lacking fiber completely. Mm -hmm. We should be getting 35. We're getting 15. The guidelines say 25. 25 is the guidelines. We should (laughs) be getting 70 Mm -hmm. grams. 25 grams a day. Uh, We should be getting 70 to 100, Mm -hmm. I would even say. Um, So we're already on a low fiber diet and then you're sick and we say go on a lower fiber diet. Mm -hmm. No sense whatsoever. So... That's and then also too with SIBO, we're seeing so much so much more SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We've been, I mean, it's been amazing helping patients yeah. basically reverse their SIBO. So for so many years, we've been hearing about irritable bowel syndrome (IBS), and right. so you know, so many people will say, "Oh, I have IBS. I can't eat that. I'm always bloated. I'm I have constipation, or I have diarrhea, or a combination of the two. And again, like I said, so much research is emerging on the gut microbiome in the last few years where we're starting to pinpoint, because IBS is kind of like an, I don't know, your stomach hurts, you have IBS, because I don't know what's actually causing it. It's this kind of, 
you know, scapegoat for what the root causes. It's like fibromyalgia, right? I don't know why you're in pain. You're in pain. You have fibromyalgia. Um, So we're starting to identify the root causes of IBS. So one of them is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, where, yeah, people are starting to experience extreme bloating all throughout the day. The, The telltale sign that people will tell us is, I wake up with a flat stomach, I feel fine. The second I start eating or drinking anything, even if it's water, I get bloated. And by the time I go to bed, I look six to nine months pregnant every single day. And so again, that person might have had the diagnosis of IBS, but now we're saying, hmm, sounds like you have SIBO, we should test you. And so we can provide them with a breath test that will tell us, do they have hydrogen dominant or do they have methane dominant or do they have hydrogen sulfide dominant SIBO? So we can appropriately treat it. And we recognize that this was so on the rise, not only here in our office, but just in the general population, that um, we recognize the only SIBO diets and protocols that are available out there. And we've heard, you know, a couple people in the plant-based world have said, I have SIBO and now I'm going to start eating, you know, eggs eggs and and fish or more meat to cure my SIBO. So all of the programs and protocols that are known out there are not plant-based. So we actually just came out in the last couple months with the very first ever plant-based SIBO protocol and so we've beta tested it here on dozens of people in our office and so we wanted to open that up to the larger population because the goal at the end of the day is to help as many people as we can. Right so how does someone I mean if someone has been diagnosed with SIBO and they want to tackle it with a plant-based method how do they find the one that you released? So this is so on Instagram you can follow your gut connection. This is is very new. It is open if you go to yourgutconnection.com. You, you can, can sign, sign up. Um, we're still building out some of the aspects of it, but it's still really robust. I mean, it, you're yeah. getting the meal plan, you're getting the recipes. So yeah. you can go to the website, sign up, you get educational courses on the website, you get a six week or actually six phase. It might not be six, six weeks or something. Six mm-hmm. phase, um, like we said, elimination and reintroduction with coordinating recipes and meal plans. They also are invited to join our closed Facebook group and receive our daily interaction receive our daily support we answer questions in live time we hold lives every single week and whether that's dr sadegi and us or just us we do cooking demos we answer their questions we educate so we are trying to help augment their care team because again you still need your care team still need someone to help diagnose you and to monitor you and help you identify that root cause and we'll talk about what the root causes of SIBO are in a minute but um, we work with them or we can be their care team if they don't have one if somebody doesn't live in Orange County California they can make a telemedicine visit with any of us and we can help identify help them identify and help them really navigate this journey and identify what is causing your SIBO why do you have this IBS right okay so important cool and what are you know what are Mm -hmm. some of the things that so make SIBO happen in our body so we're starting to see quite a bit quite a gamut of root causes but Probably the top one we're seeing in our population is actually hypothyroidism. And so your thyroid is this amazing gland um, in your endocrine system. So most people are familiar with going to an endocrinologist to treat their thyroid, um, but we're also seeing that it's really necessary in the GI community because your thyroid is a huge part in your metabolism, right? And so if your um, GI tract, your your entire you know gut is not moving quickly enough it's kind of stalled it's depressed because you have hypothyroidism hypothyroidism means your thyroid is low things are moving slow so we tend to associate that with weight gain fatigue hair loss 
but not realizing that also affects the gastrointestinal tract. So things aren't moving quickly enough down your gastrointestinal tract. And that's supposed to move in, you know, kind of like a river in one direction. And so your GI tract has different compartments, we say. It's all connected in kind of one tube that kind of, you know, twists and turns in places, but it's all connected. Food goes down the esophagus into the stomach, the small intestine, large intestine where it's excreted and leaves the body. Um, and you have these doors that separate these different compartments in your GI tract. So what SIBO is, is like I said, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And so your large intestine, your colon, is one of the most concentrated or is the most concentrated area of bacteria in your entire body. There are trillions of bacteria in the large intestine. And obviously what needs to happen in the small intestine is very different than the large intestine. Small intestine is when you're absorbing your, you know, very slightly further breaking down food, but you're really absorbing your nutrients there in the small intestine. And your large intestine is where really the leftovers go. You're packaging, you're fermenting, processing but, and moving them yeah, out right. but very different things happen so you need a lot less bacteria in the small intestine um, you do need some healthy bacteria and anti-inflammatory bacteria to absorb nutrients and help you facilitate that process but what happens with SIBO is if things aren't moving slow uh, quickly enough if they're moving very slowly or if your doors that separate your compartments your sphincters um, are malfunctioning getting hiccup, maybe getting a hiccup yeah things are moving upstream rather than downstream in that one-way flow and so when that bacteria that opportunistic bacteria not harmful or pathogenic bacteria from the large intestine it's just it's hungry it's opportunistic it's greedy it's, uh, it it's the hyenas right <laughs> we need hyenas but they're opportunistic vultures hyenas jackals so you don't them. want too many we don't want to in the many. wrong place right so they creep up from the large intestine into the small intestine and that leads to someone having that exaggerated bloating where now their entire stomach is extremely bloated because in our large intestine right you you get gas and you pass it you pass it out but when you have that trapped gas in your small intestine in your stomach you're just left feeling like you're incredibly bloated and pregnant and that's why people say the second they start eating they feel bloated because things aren't moving so hypothyroidism is one of the main causes and that is that ileocecal valve that that is basically the that key valve door. that door right so again it can trap the gas or it can that valve's not working again we go back to the nervous system we go back to i mean you have billions and tr or trillions of nerves in your gi tract and again this is bringing it back to real life what is what is one of the uh, highest chronic diseases, right? The most common chronic disease is diabetes. Mm -hmm. What happens in diabetes as well? Going back to root causes, right? Diabetes, you're getting neuropathy, you're right? damaging those of, nerves. You're damaging nerves. So if, if you're diabetic, type 2 diabetic most commonly, and you're getting that tingling in your fingers and you're getting that tingling in your toes. You start and to lose your vision. Start to lose your, your vision. What do you think is happening in your gut? right? If those nerves are dying on your fingertips, do you think the nerves are dying from your mouth to your anus as well? And for some, it's in different spots. It's more concentrated, but you're very likely to get SIBO. So very yeah, likely to have IBS. Recent studies have estimated that 40 to 60% of diabetics have SIBO or IBS. Again, because those nerves are dying off, things aren't moving quickly enough. So diabetes is another huge root cause. Huge. Um, we're also starting to see those with chronic pain syndrome, so fibromyalgia, I think a recent study said about 75% of those with fibromyalgia have SIBO or IBS. Again, because you're taking these opioids, these narcotics, um, to dull the pain, the nerves. NSAIDs, right? And Even again, over the counter. you're depressing your nerve function. And so when they're depressed, they're slow, things aren't, you're having slower transit, things aren't moving, you're starting to have that overgrowth of bacteria when that 
opportunistic bacteria really creeps up into the stomach. And then you're starting to see other things. If you have scar tissue um, from Past surgeries, mm -hmm, uh, drug celiac use, disease, high uh, antibiotic use, um, cancer, well, different forms of cancer yes. too can be a root cause. So, so many root causes. That's why we say you got to, you got, you know, look, you got to stick with your care team. You got to make sure it's not cancer because mm -hmm. we're not going to have you come into your gut connection and be like, oh yeah, do this protocol. It's, it's going to help you when you have cancer. So you have to, we have to find out these root causes because they're very, very important. Um, and, and definitely lifestyle will play into that. And so the program, we try to have it address the root cause so we want to find out okay do you have diabetes maybe people don't even know they have diabetes is it uncontrolled diabetes do you have a thyroid condition that you weren't aware of let's treat that because a lot of now Western doctors are also learning about SIBO and there are a couple of antibiotics. There are regular pharmaceutical antibiotics and we sometimes utilize those or we utilize herbal antibiotics to just control the population of bacteria in the small intestine. But a recent study also showed that 40% of those who are treated with antibiotics will relapse within nine months of treatment. Again, because a lot of times they're not addressing the root cause. If you still have hypothyroidism and you took the antibiotics but didn't address the hypothyroidism, thyroidism, great, you took out some of that bacteria for a little while, it's going to come back. So we really encourage everyone, find your why. Why yes. are you here? What brought you here? If you still don't know, we're going to help you figure it out. And then we also not only give them the meal plans, recipes, research, we try to encourage them to really reflect on their lifestyle. How stressed are you? Are you having that opportunity in your day to rest and digest? That's going to affect you, your digestion. Are you sleeping enough? Mm -hmm. Are you in nature enough? Are you getting sunlight? Are you sweating? Right? Because everyone's so quick to go on a detox program or pill, but are you sweating? Are you, you are know, you breathing? Mm -hmm. Are you taking deep breaths? Because that's how you detox as well. And again, I know Dr. Sadegi isn't a big fan of detox, but I, I use the word detox because it's just it's out there. It's out there in the ether. It's 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 prevalent, but it's a way to just expel toxins. We're just we're just getting rid of that. And we do detox all we day, do. every day. Yeah. We detox through urination, defecation. We detox when we're breathing, through respiration, and through perspiration, through sweat. So, are you not doing those things? Are right. you not taking the chance, like we said, to properly breathe and practice that diaphragmatic breathing are you not having a bowel movement every day because that's going to give you that predisposition for gut issues so before you go spend 700 dollars <laughs> on this detox program let's get to the Take basics to right the basic. let's, let's get to your why and that's why we love you. it's your gut connection let's let's connect you back to your gut back to the basics because your gut is the ultimate detoxer back to whole healthy food and nature so right. we do not only give them this elimination diet we do promote eating organic while they're on it to eliminate that variable because maybe it is the pesticides that you've been eating that are contributing to your symptoms. And that goes back to environmental nutrition. That goes back to the outer environment, right? Here we are on the layers again, the outer environment, which is what's called the exposome. So that's what we call it in, in basically the research terminology, which is the exposome is what your microbiome is exposed to in terms of all the pesticides, herbicides or denticides, air pollution, water pollution. I mean, we have 80,000 registered chemicals in the United States and practically none of them have been tested. So we get this free pass. Again, I'm, I'm bringing it back full circle to the corruption in our government where we just say it's GRAS, genuinely recognized as safe, where if it's a, we have this kind of loophole where if you're coming out with a chemical that's similar to another chemical, ah, don't worry about testing. It's innocent until proven guilty. It's innocent until <laughs> proven guilty where really we should be taking the opposite approach, right? We should be using and 
what's called the precautionary principle, which is saying if you're going to come out with a chemical, whether it's for food or a cabinet or a couch or a soda can, you should deem it as safe. There should be research before we put it out there. Mm-hmm. And so we're not doing that. So, yeah. So we're teaching <laughs> these things, too. I think people are surprised, like, oh, you're a dietitian and you're talking about yeah. what's on my couch. But it all matters. And we are seeing that it all contributes, again, to that root cause. And that's why we are teaching, yes, about gut health, how we can preserve our gut health, and then how to teach kids how to just grow up and facilitate better gut health. So that's why we do see kids, we do um, treat pediatric patients, but um, I'm really passionate about it. Again, because our own stories, we grew up both as unhealthy kids and we have our own child. And so we are trying to empower her with all of this information, knowledge of nourishing your body, eating more plants, eating, whether that's all plants and that's what works for our family and that's what you know the research we've read has shown but just eating more plants or eating them at all because some kids really aren't like we said the guidelines recommend at least 25 grams of fiber the average american is getting about 12 grams so most of that is coming from you know fruit corn. and corn and potatoes bt and so, uh genetically modified corn yeah <laughs> and then the potatoes are potentially fries and the yeah, fries. Or, yeah they're or not chips. yeah exactly mm-hmm. Absolutely. no there's <laughs> I mean, it's just so much, <laughs> so like, much interesting stuff that you guys are doing. I, one of the Thank things you. that came to mind was how difficult can it be to actually get someone to walk out of the practice and start to change their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. How yeah. difficult is that? Yeah, so well, I'll say in everything we talked about right now, I mean, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you have every right to. Yeah. And in no way, shape, or form do we have an initial visit with someone and go and unload into all, all of that. Blah, just <laughs> like yeah. It's like just words all over them, right? Vomiting on them. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we, we chop it in steps. And we really say, do you have a job? And most people have a job. And I go, okay, what do you do? And hey, on the first day you started your job, were you the supervisor and knew everything? It's like, no. So th- th- we're talking about 10 years of our life being, in the profession being and learning all this and doing all this you're not going to do that on day one and and take it back to whether you're exercising or you're starting a new job or whatever the case is you're not a pro bodybuilder on the day first day you start exercising and i heard this proverb and i loved it and i like to tell my patients that the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit right right? so they expect to leave the office feel great the next time they see us and we tell them it's a process (laughs) that's like climbing mount everest right you need the right guide you need the right tools but we're going to get there together and really we were trained in our education in motivational interviews so really to identify, you know, what is their why? What motivates them? What stage of change are they in? Are they, because sometimes patients come and they're like, I don't know why I'm here. Dr. Angie told me to come see you. Or yeah. some are like, hey, I'm here because I've already tried this, this, and that. It didn't work. This worked a little bit. Tell me, I need you to refine. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give that person more information. They're ready for it. They're open. Right. Whereas if someone's not, let's just start with, can you eat one more vegetable this week? Sometimes that's my patient's goals and that's fine. And that's where they're at. And we're going to work with that. And sometimes they're very eager and they're like, give it all to me. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you're going to be overwhelmed. Let's stop here. Can you handle this? How confident are you? What percentage likely are you to implement this change? What obstacles do you have in your life? And we just get into all that. Is it, can it be detrimental to sometimes take on a fully whole food plant-based diet if if you've been eating, you know, say say the standard American diet or something close mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. where there's a lot of animal products, a lot of processed snack foods, can it be dangerous to take on a fully whole food plant-based diet in terms of fiber overload or is it, if that's even a thing? 
Yes, I'll say simply put, yes. But, you know, so this is where, again, your microbiome and each person is a fingerprint. You, you have that individual need. And this is where we need individual medicine. We need individual individualized care. Um, and going back to just the simple analogy of our heritage, right? I mean, go back a thousand years. Could you go from keto to vegan to Mediterranean raw. to raw to fasting to juice diet? To, it's like, no, that if you lived in Ethiopia and wanted to eat like an Eskimo, you could try and travel that and it would take you decades to transition to transition. <laughs> Here we can transition in a week or as a day. however quickly you can drive to Whole Foods or Mother's and buy your groceries and then try the new diet. That's how quick you can transition. That doesn't mean your gut is going to follow. Then you're going to go, oh, the vegan diet didn't work. I tried it for three days and it didn't work. It's like, and I felt worse. I was so bloated. I was fatigued. Again, right. you want to work with the right person to transition you into there. And if you're eating five grams of fiber a day and then you go to 90, of course, you're going to be uncomfortable, issues. bloated. Your your microbiome needs to shift and really be able to respond appropriately because you have two different types of bacteria. You have the pro-inflammatory bacteria, anti-inflammatory bacteria. And so when you're shifting those bacteria, they're oftentimes almost in a civil war, right? And so that can be uncomfortable. You might hear some rumbling. You might feel some of those effects of that change. And so if you make that change too quickly, absolutely, it can be very painful. It can, you know, provoke someone into a flare-up of their condition because you're just shifting a little bit too quickly. But we do recommend transitioning into it um, whether that is over a couple months, over a couple weeks, over a couple years, really meeting that sure. person where they are at so they can remain successful. And then I, we do like to also give people the basics of their insurance policy when it comes to supplements for those who are on a plant-based diet because we have seen there is not always the best conversion of certain nutrients, right? We don't always have the best conversion of um, ALA, EPA, you know, into the DHA. DHA. Um, so we want to make sure, okay, let's get you on an algae omega. Just to have that insurance policy, absolutely, you can acquire some from hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, um, algae. But how much are you eating? Are you eating it every single day? Are you consistent with it? Or some days yes, some days no. So use these supplements as an insurance policy just to know that you're getting what you need. Your B12, although B12 comes from the soil, you know, it's not as concentrated in a plant-based diet. Common misconception with the B12 mm -hmm. especially. Oh, yeah. 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 But then even then, even if you know that, how often are you in your organic garden gardening and eating soil and eating dirt? And eating dirt? <laughs> or how much nutritional yeast are you getting or these right. natural sources of B12? So again, we, we say, you know, you should be taking a vitamin D3, not just because you're vegan, 70% of our patient population at least, but, you know, a large percentage of the population is vitamin D deficient. So let's get you a vi vegan vitamin D. Let's get you um, an algae omega. Let's make sure you're taking B12. Are you getting calcium fortified milks? Are you getting calcium fortified um, tofu? Or are you eating that every day? If not, let's make sure you have the appropriate supplement. And are you fortifying not just with a bunch of calcium, but then does it have magnesium and does it have other potassium? Because again, when you look at food, you're not just... There's not a, you know, a food with just calcium. There's not a food with just magnesium. So you don't want to take these mega doses of these, you know, single nutrients because that's not how food works. So it's, <laughs> it's all these factors, right? No, it's, it's Absolutely. Yeah. it is complex, <clears throat> but I think, you know, from what we've discussed at the crux of everything, a whole food plant-based diet is just going to put you in the in the right stead. It's going to yes. yeah. prime you. Set you on the right path and
I think where we're all easily confused is, oh, I need to be a doctor. I need to be a nutritionist to understand what I should be eating. But really what you're doing is empowering your patients to learn about it, understand it and go out on their own and really start fueling their own healthy path yeah without having to get their bachelor's and master's and do an internship and that's what we're here for we are here to translate the science of nutrition into practical everyday um practices and and really help people implement that like we said you know a lot of these doctors are out here teaching the what like what are what should we be doing and why and we are here again to clear up that why teach them and empower them with that information and how we are all about how are we going to do this? You know, I like to teach my patients, let's be healthy, lazy. Even if you do have SIBO and we have you on this protocol, how can we make this easiest for you? Okay, you know, instead of you boiling your kale every day, let's have you have frozen kale because when the ice crystals form in the kale, it's bursting the cell wall of that cellulose and the fiber, it's easier for you to digest. Okay, let's do more frozen vegetables then rather than you, again, if you miss the farmer's market, you buy it frozen. Um, so we like to teach our patients these easy, digestible, everyday, ways to implement that's awesome now that we've spoken a little bit about plants and you know their benefit in in all of this what about the the effects that you know the standard foods of today have so like your meats processed meats uh, dairy processed foods snack kind of items what kind of effect do they have on our gut I would say a, a kind of a way and what makes us a little bit unique that most people don't, don't think about this is the environment, going back to the environment of where we're having these dead zones as a result of our monoculture and our, our horrible practices in agriculture. We're not utilizing permaculture and regenerative uh, agriculture to heal our soil and really go nutrient-dense food. This is where, I mean, it, it's a little more difficult in 2019 to be healthy than in 1920 in a sense that our soil has changed so rapidly. And it's so depleted. And it's so you're so not depleted. getting the same nutrients out of, you know, one tomato from 1950 had so many more nutrients than the tomatoes that we're growing today. So, so in that sense, you know, it, it is a result of many bad decisions we've made and, and you can link it back to livestock. I mean, again, we're growing lots of corn and lots of genetically modified soy in these monocultures and spraying them with vast amounts of glyphosate and atrazine. I mean, hundreds of different chemicals that are not healthy to us. And as a result, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And even even vegans or plant those that are plant-based are getting shot in the foot as well because they're getting less uh, nutrients in their plant foods as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, that may seem very doom and gloom, but it, it's a reality. But the beautiful thing is we can shift this back the other way. We can heal our soils. We can start to mulch and practice permaculture, which is, again, everything having a purpose and working to help other plants. It's, it's this beautiful synergistic effect in terms of agriculture, and that will facilitate healthier, more nutrient-rich foods. And so right now we're relying a little bit more on supplements, which are fine. Again, they're not... they. They're not replacements, they're supplements still, but we don't ever want to get to a point where they're replacements, right? You look in those like dystopian movies where they're eating Soylent Green or like those uh, sci-fi movies where they, they're grinding up bugs to stay alive and making these nutrient bars because there's a lack of food. You know, we don't want to get to that future, so we have to save our soil. And that goes back to protecting gut health because the soil microbiome mirrors our own gut microbiome. 
and, and it is and so the animals that people eat too oh yeah that's going to reflect in their food i always yeah. like to ask my patients if you do eat animal products what was in your food's food right do you think animals are getting you know the the cow that you would just say do you think it got reverse osmosis water and it was eating organic and you know if you're gluten-free do you think that was being fed gr- gluten-free feed right. or again right. animals yes people often say like animals are so nutrient dense they're such a great way to concentrate the nutrients for us and we get that from them but it's also a great way to concentrate these pesticides antibiotics these redundancies and all of these yeah unhealthy properties that are in the environment are also extremely concentrated in animal products and you know like james was saying generally recognized as safe people don't realize there's a percentage of blood and pus that's allowed to be in dairy um you know if a, a cow or a pig has a tumor they can just cut it right out and feed that to you so i think people don't realize what else you're getting with those nutrients that you're getting in the animal because again that goes back to the guidelines and how we're very compartmentalized of thinking like oh this is protein this is giving me protein tumors protein guys (laughs) (laughs) but seriously like there are you just refer to it dahlia like there are animals that can have a tumor cut out of them Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the animal is cut up and put on the supermarket shelf Mm -hmm. we don't know that that animal had a tumor because they've obviously taken that out but Mm. yeah I mean, that just speaks volumes for where we're really at in terms of uh, How disconnected we are. Mm -hmm. And worse yet, you can go and get ground beef and it's coming from several different cows that the ground beef has been mixed together with. And you're like... From different farms, different different states, countries. Right. So even if it was grass-fed, is that the same thing if it's coming from Venezuela versus up in Canada versus somewhere else? And James likes to give this really great analogy of a cup of water. Oh, yeah. My cup (laughs) of water analogy. Uh, So, you know, and when you think about all this, think about the endotoxins in animals, the heavy metals, bioaccumulation of different pesticides. Then, you know, think of the off-gassing of your new couch and the cell phone plastic in your water bottles cell phone radiation let's put it all into a glass of water just for one day right all the all this stuff we're coming across the eighty thousand plus chemicals and products would you drink that glass of water is there anybody that would willing go oh give me that water and drink it but yet we do that every single day and it's criminal in in our opinion that our government allows this and that we as a people allow this and, and imagine if you, I mean, thinking of yourself, drink this water, give it to your three-year-old daughter, four-year-old daughter, your five-year-old son. It's like we can do better. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're, we're challenging our patients and people to do better. And to realize that, yeah, it's not only you yeah. drinking that water, it's the animals drinking that water and what the other things that you're getting besides that protein. It's more than just the protein that you're getting oftentimes. There's there's more to that story. And the fact that you can thrive on a plant-based diet without, if you are an ethical vegan or, you know, you can very well thrive on, like we said, a properly planned plant-based diet. And so if that's your choice, absolutely, there are great healthy ways to do it and still get all the nutrients that you need. And the animal fiber, so the, the animal products also lack fiber. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then there's well, not lack, just flat out don't voice. have it. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, have it. Exactly. So again, and it's uh, it's what package do you want? Do you want this complete package with protein, phytonutrients, fiber, vitamins, minerals, or would you like you know cut of beef with maybe some vitamins, minerals, protein, fat. fat, and a lot of it is pro-inflammatory. It's like, mm-hmm. wh- what do you want? What are you feeding your microbiome? How's your microbiome going to respond right. to that? And I think people don't realize that 
they think, you know, oh, I'm craving this, you know, I'm really tired or whatever. They think their brain wants that. But oftentimes cravings are coming from the gut microbiome. So if you're putting in more pro-inflammatory food, you're going to have a more inflammatory gut microbiome that then sends those signals to your brain of, okay, I need more sugar. I want more meat. I want more cheese. You know, I want more of these pro-inflammatory foods. Whereas oftentimes our patients will say like, you know, I'm not even craving that thing. I always ask them, what's your trigger food? What do you go to when you're really, you know, tired, frustrated? And, oh, it's ice cream or, you know, it's pretzels. And they'll come back to me after a couple months and say, oh, I'm not even craving that anymore. You've shifted your gut microbiome. You're now feeding and your anti-inflammatory gut microbiome is thriving. And that's what you're craving. Your body feels so good on that. That's what you're bugs are telling you to eat and, and i challenge you everyone to to look up use a search engine look up a permaculture farm and look up a monoculture farm and your gut's going to reflect that right so so your gut can look like a monoculture farm and you're eating the same thing whether you know it or not well no my plate i have i have corn and i have uh beef and i have maybe some whatever else i'm eating a tortilla or some bread and you follow so the usda guidelines follow the usda <laughs> and milk little do you know almost all that 90% is corn, right? So you're eating just these staples that have been fed to you because they're subsidized. And then, but you look at a permaculture garden, you look at this diversity in plant foods, that's what you want because you're going to get different species in that garden. Whereas a monoculture farm, it's dead. It's, it's dead soil. There's hardly any species. And now you're getting super weeds growing mm-hmm. as a result of it. You know, in a permaculture farm, you're getting lizards and different birds and different, you know, these beautiful microorganisms and they work in a symphony. That's literally your gut. So when you eat that diversity, it represents in your gut microbiome. And I always like to tell people a pretty good indicator of your health, your family's health, your gut health is how much compost you're making every single week (laughs) and how diverse is it? How colorful is your compost? You know, is it really robust? And that's always something we challenge people to do is like keep your food scraps maybe they might not compost but it's like let's keep track of that it should be growing every single week Uh, a recent study found that uh, the optimal number of plant foods to have every single week whether that's you know fruits vegetables nuts seeds whole grains um legumes Mm -hmm. is 30 at least 30 different types of plant foods every week is optimal for gut health and so it's keeping track of that it's it's really being mindful of okay how many different plants did you eat this week did you eat four Uh, let's build from there let's add two to three more let's shift and because people will always be like well you know I don't eat a lot of vegetables I eat a lot of meat and okay let's add more vegetables and little by little you'll naturally start to eat a little bit less meat you're more satiated off the fiber you're getting you know a variety of nutrients so let's crowd that out if you're not you know whether your goal is to become 100% plant-based or you know 90% plant-based it's we can present the data, but it's not our job to push that onto our patients. And not all of our patients are plant-based, but really our goal is just to have them eat more plants. And if we can nice. do that for them, we can do that for their family. I go home happy and I feel like that was a win. That's cool. Yeah, I think the, the diversity of, of plant food is super important. Uh, something I actually wanted to just get touch on was the, the vegan versus plant-based thing yeah. and the difference. Yeah. Because you just mentioned that you know not all your patients are like fully plant-based right but you know we're often thinking like oh they're vegan Mm -hmm. oh you know they're super healthy well i know for a fact that this weekend i had a burrito that had like fries in the burrito you know and (laughs) had exactly like (laughs) and i know that that's not healthy i know it's not what makes up most of my diet Mm -hmm. yeah um and that's something in the back of my mind that i'm always 
thinking about now mm-hmm. in terms of like, do I really want that in my diet at all? Yeah, you're more mindful of it. So it's something I'm trying to push out. But what are the differences, you know, between a vegan yeah. diet and a plant-based diet? That's a great question. So a whole food plant-based diet really focuses on, again, foods in their whole form. So nothing that has been refined down. So that's going to include refined sugars. It's going to include refined grains. It's going to include refined oils as well. So um, a diet that's free of those processed packaged foods and those ingredients that have been refined and taken down to their simplest, most isocaloric form. Um, you know, olive oil, for example, I was recently seeing a lot of debate around olive oil, yeah. whether it's healthy or unhealthy, it's yeah. in the Mediterranean diet. Um, but we are in a society of overabundance of calories and nutrients, right? Never in history before could you access food 24 hours of the day. There was a time where you'd have to hunt for your food, gather for your food. You'd have to really go out there and get it. You'd be in periods of fasting Sh- and famine. And shout out Postmates. You don't even have to go get no. up out of your seat unless you're answering the door. Soon we're going to have like drones bringing it through <laughs> a window. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But absolutely, we're in a time where there is very little um, calorie scarcity. And so when you're having these concentrated forms of calories in oil, for example, you know, a tablespoon of olive oil um, has about 150 calories in it. And so you'd have to eat about 21 olives to get that much fat and get that many calories. And so again, what are you losing when you've refined that food? You're losing a lot of fiber. You're losing a lot of the nutrients that are available in the peel, in the fiber. Um, Same with, we tell people, think of that with juice or sugar. Just like, you know, the coca plant is innocent in itself. When you've refined it down, well, now you have cocaine, right? A little less healthy for you. And (laughs) then you can make crack cocaine with that. So we're doing that with food as well. You're taking corn, then you get corn syrup, then you get high fructose corn syrup, and we're really adulterating things. So a vegan diet can include all those things. It can include a lot of oil. It can include a lot of refined grains, sugar. And it's becoming more sinister where it's not called high fructose corn syrup anymore. It's called coconut nectar, right? It's called uh, agave, right? It's called uh, what's another? I mean, brown rice syrup is a new one that I've heard of lately. Yeah, so it's all these. You're getting again. Food companies are not dumb. They're trillion dollar industries. They're gonna they're gonna adjust. Oh, people want more organic. Okay, let's give them organic junk. People want vegan food. We'll give them vegan junk. And we're starting to see vegans because they seek us out but we're starting to see vegans with health issues too with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with pre-diabetes with high cholesterol with high blood pressure you know thinking that oh i'm vegan i'm healthy i'm not eating animal products but that's oftentimes not enough um you again want to really go back to have a majority of your diet be whole plant foods and you know you can have a treat once in a while no one is a purist no one is a hundred percent you know there probably are even with oil and i say that and then say that's where you get a little maybe leeway with oil if there's a healthy oil and you want to make a a vegan brownie or a plant-based brownie recipe and it calls for a little olive oil or coconut oil that's not going to break you i mean again you're talking about i mean how many brownies are you making you could still make it pretty healthy how often are you making Mm -hmm. it and then what amount of oil are you actually getting per brownie We don't have to be such a stickler like that, but in general. And what I like to tell people is don't make things like that at home or if you're going to make it keep it for a healthy a special occasion but keep home a safe and healthy space don't even bring those temptations into your home um you know when you're at home cook without oil if you go out to eat with friends she's getting on me don't make that (laughs) no but yeah but and that's a special occasion that's like someone's birthday you're probably gonna have oil at a restaurant fine that's maybe once a week 
great or once you know deal. twice a month that's fine that's not going to cause you to have Crohn's or diverticulitis but when it's all the time and you're eating these things day in and day out absolutely you're predisposing your gut microbiome to be more inflammatory and you're predisposing yourself to have those diseases vegan or not and and i have to say this thing about kids too really quick too even vegan kids or just kids in general where again we, we give them that free pass oh they're kids let them eat whatever they want it's, it's like kid food <laughs> kid food it's like if you were if you were studying for the biggest test of your life if you were trying to concentrate would you not study would you turn on rock and roll music so kids are in this pivotal point especially from from zero to three years old they're in this hyper growth and their microbiome is in hyper growth that is a time to give them the most nutrient dense plant foods ever and not say oh give them that lollipop give them that vegan candy or even they'll only eat mac and cheese and chicken nuggets let's just give them that (laughs) that's like saying i have a final and i'm not going to study and not only that i'm going to go do drugs and go party instead of study it's like this is the time what i would say is you're building a platform you only get to build it once and you have to stop building it at a certain time and then you have to jump off of it so the idea is we stop growing and we stop accumulating nutrients about 25 years old and then from there we're jumping and we're gliding with a wingsuit until we hit 90 95 100 and we end this this crazy thing called life right so why is it when we're kids we're, we're telling our kids don't build this wonderful robust high platform to jump off of mm-hmm. we're saying go ahead and build a tiny platform and now you have high triglycerides at three years old mm-hmm. now you have gastritis at eight years old and that's exactly what we're yeah, seeing reflux and you know what i like to tell parents is just like you wouldn't give up if your kid is struggling to read you're not going to be like oh it's fine just listen to ebooks your entire life don't right read. don't don't it's worry about it it's the same with healthy eating people will say oh my kid won't I've had people say like, oh, my nine month old hates vegetables. It's like they're nine months old. They've only been eating them for a couple months. They haven't even had that chance to know what they like and don't like. So, you know, we really encourage people incorporate them, incorporate them into every day, every meal, because that is so important, again, to build that platform for kids to grow that healthy gut microbiome and to expose kids to that. We don't want to wait until they're older or in their early adulthood like us and have health issues of their own and then expect them to learn when so many other things are going on in that stage of life you don't also want to oh and now i have to learn how to cook now i have to learn to like broccoli it's you're probably starting a job at that age and then you have to start three other jobs right a job called cooking a job called healthy eating it's like can you really start three or four jobs at the same time no start start it earlier totally i mean the first thing that anna and i faced when we moved in together was like so do you cook? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't cook? Wait, I, do I cook? No, yeah. And we're both looking at each other like, no, no, we don't cook. Yeah. And you don't have those tools to, at least one of you, to be able to do the bulk of the cooking, make it healthy. Yeah. And yeah, you've really got to navigate that outside of your main job. And it becomes totally. another job, totally. a, a research job. So you guys are currently the parents of Layla and she's four and a half years old. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So what has it been like for you in real life mm-hmm. right. navigating this with with your own child, you know, who you love, oh, care man. about and want to nurture in, you know, into having this yeah. platform? So right. how is it? It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm always amazed at just how smart 
kids are. Layla yeah. is, you know, of course, she's the love of our life, the joy of oh our life. We're going to be like, she's the smartest kid ever. But kids are <laughs> she's so the best smart. Kid in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we even see, like, when she has friends over, how well they respond to these healthy inputs that we give them. Um, you know, we recently moved, but our old next door neighbor, she used to eat at least one meal a day at our house. And so, she recognizes i took them to costco the other day i took them grocery shopping and she told me wow this is healthy food that you're buying because i was buying you know our fruits and vegetables for the week and i was like yeah you know doesn't don't you have these things at your house and she was like no you know my mom doesn't make these things and it's not because she won't eat them this little girl she eats them happily at my house but she's just not given that opportunity at her house and so for us it's really teaching Layla it's empowering her you know these things are healthy for your body eating plants is great for your body it helps your brain grow it helps your body grow it helps you have strong bones and teeth and um, you know we do teach her that there, there is cruelty in eating animals we have taught her that aspect of it or you know it's not necessarily great for the environment to be eating animals um but she is so smart and now she'll be like do you know this has iron in it or she'll start to say these things or like yeah. proteins are the building blocks or yeah, yeah. she'll start to come out with these little things she tells people i'm a dietitian yeah. um <laughs> so it's amazing we actually have in the state of california she is she is she's <laughs> yep, a nutritionist she's, she's certified nutritionist yeah and like we'll go out to eat and we don't believe in kid food so yeah. usually there is no kids meal we ask for the kids meal so she can color on it but she doesn't order from the kids meal she shares with us or she gets her own meal from the regular menu and people seriously come up to us yeah. and they're <laughs> like oh my gosh she's eating a portobello mushroom how do you what did you bribe her with i'm like nothing she likes them right. <laughs> and this is what she's used to she's not used to the other junk food because we don't have it at home i would say a good seven out of ten times is the average where if it's not a waiter waitress <laughs> or some random person going oh my gosh she's eating that or or like the waiter's like, would you like to see the kids menu? We're like, no. And I'm like, well, or I, we'll have sometimes some of the, the waiting staff be like, oh, what would you like for your daughter? We're like, oh, we ordered her the quinoa bowl with uh, tofu and mushrooms and vegetables. Like, oh, like they can't believe that's for her. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So it's so funny to see that. It's so uncommon now. Right, where kids should get these dinosaur-shaped brown nuggets of chicken goop and brown french fries, and that's kid food. And the color is the and condiment on the plate. And it's so backwards where it's like, no, remember, you're studying for the most important test of your life. Don't you want the most nutrient-dense food, right? So pairing those two things together, mm -hmm. the, you know, the information that you provide, Layla, and then the food mm -hmm. that is typical of what children eat. Right. Are we dumbing it down, all of it? Are we dumbing the information down to a level that we think they can consume it? And are we obviously dumbing the food down to a level we think they're going to like it? But in actual fact, what have you experienced with, with both sides of the coin? So the yeah. information and the food. We kind of heard about the food just mm -hmm. then, but right. um, the information as well. Yeah, and I know we, we kind of touched on this before too, where I, I think we are, right? Where we, we were not getting kids, we're not giving kids enough credit. We're not giving them the, power. Uh, the power that they need, especially in this world. We're not giving them the information they need in this world. We're not giving them the facts. We're, we're, we're very much based on emotion of saying, oh, that, that's not nice to say this person is obese. That's not nice to say this is unhealthy or that's not nice to say people shouldn't eat that way. It's like, why not? Why not? It's, it's true and it's the fact. And, and this isn't something I would say to a patient. I'm being very honest right now. This isn't something I would say to a patient, but as a healthcare professional, I took an oath 
to do no harm. And I took an oath to help you heal. And we specialize in medical nutrition therapy. So I'm not going to deny you facts. And if you're my patient, I see you as my child. I'm not going to deny you these facts. I'm not going to deny these facts to my child. And so I think it's important to empower them with the truth, with science, to have them be little scientists, because that's exactly what she is. And I'm so proud. I got a little choked up earlier talking <laughs> about the future and future generations, because I think of my daughter and, and I'm so proud of her to be a little scientist. And, and in and no way am I going to deny her that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and yeah, never deny her curiosity. Ask why with your fact. food. Ask why with, you know, what you're doing, where you're going, who you're going with. Always totally. ask those questions because it ultimately is going to affect you. It's going to affect, you know, future generations as well. So we feel we love that we know that we're teaching her these skills and she's going to pass that on to her kids. Her kids are, you know, going to totally. be more likely to eat healthy and pass that on to her grandkids. And so that is such a gratifying feeling and, and see how she is like James was saying, the ripple in her own pond where, you know, when we go to play dates, we are bringing, you know, roasted broccoli or kilt chips or, you know, carrot, carrot fries and with her our reusable water like bottles <laughs> and our reusable utensils and everyone's asking questions and or like, Oh, my kid ate that. I'm going to go get it too. So it's, it's, cool to empower that change through Layla, through her little group of friends and, and scope of influence and use our platform to also influence other parents and to be able to help other parents with different things, whether that's preventing for their kids, whether that is helping if their kids are experiencing health issues, but just empowering and really educating and really letting them know that there is hope and it's going to take practice and not every day is perfect because again not a, life is not instagram mm -hmm. not every day is perfect like layla went through this whole phase where she she and zucchini were not friends right, right. and she was like no get the zucchini off my plate yeah. but i figured out if i spiralized it she would gobble it down so it's like okay parents you know if you're only offering spaghetti squash one time and that's the only time they've ever seen that thing it's right. brand new and it's foreign to them you can't expect them to love it the first time I don't always love things the first time I eat them right. and if it's foreign and so many things are already changing for them then give them another shot offer it again in a couple days offer it with something they do love mm -hmm. help them integrate it into the things that they're already doing so that way it just becomes the norm so practice it's so true it's like the thing that you know makes it work is hard work practice makes perfect and no one's perfect but practice makes better and so we just try to empower her to understand what's better for you and also to educate her on if we don't make those choices this is what can happen you know when she does see someone who is you know sick or she does you know hear of a family member or someone who has health issues we teach her how that person might have got to that place or you know she, she recognizes knows, like she knows what diabetes is what cancer is yeah, and what obesity does. is and what we tell her we don't hide anything from her and it, it's so important to do that. Yeah. yeah. And and to understand like, oh, yeah, mommy and daddy exercise. You know, I, I do. I exercise so I can play with you and I can have energy. And so mm -hmm. I always want to pass that down to her and never, you know, have her have me as a hindrance to her being her healthiest self. That's awesome. No, I. I'd love to meet her again. I think I think she was at. She, she was. could do uh, her own podcast. She She'll talk <laughs> as much as we do. <laughs> that be the Layla show. The Layla show. So I could totally see her doing that. Oh that'd gosh. be really cool. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, I actually didn't. I didn't mention this, but so Angie has been on the podcast. Yeah, Doctor. That was yeah. back in. Uh, we we spoke back in January, but that is where I met James and Dahlia. Uh -huh. I walked into Angie's house, and they're having a little SIBO conference. 
in the house <laughs> and I think they were like, oh, I have a tempeh burger. So, yeah. so Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it was a good introduction. That was a good introduction <laughs> yeah. for sure. We always come with food. We're always eating. That's why I normally hope the I normally hope the chefs that I interview are the ones that will be like, "Oh yeah, I prepared some food." We're like, "Oh, bonus!" But hey, the doctors do it too. I wanted to ask a question about Layla as well. Do you think there will be some time in the future where she has an opportunity to teach you guys something, and you're gonna have to be open-minded because it's something deeply rooted? within both of your habits or your life and oh, she's going to up, up, you know, uproot it and, and show you a new perspective. Do you think there's going to be a time for that? Yeah, you know, I would like to be uh, selfish and say no because I hope we, we're always going to have an open mind. But to- I mean, she still teaches us, I think. She teaches us she teaches every, day every day to be empathetic, to be forgiving, patient. to be open-minded, yeah, to be patient. So oh, absolutely, yeah. we hope, again, to start her off young of being empowered. We, you know tell her like you can be anything you want you can be she always says i want to be an animal doctor you know right. you can be an animal doctor and you can be a chef and you can be all these different Whatever things you, you can own your own business you can do anything you want so absolutely we hope that we are empowering her to teach us to teach others too and really pay that forward and share that with the world yeah. beautiful yeah i think what you said about being curious and asking the question why it doesn't matter what stage of life you're at i think it's so important it's maybe something I wasn't asking earlier on enough, mm-hmm. you know, but when you get to that first time that you ask a really deep why, mine just so happened to be around food and veganism. And that's kind of what led me on the, the path of learning more, but it's so important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a really key takeaway is to say like, oh, if I, you know, if I am experiencing this, then why am, why is it happening? And who else is it happening if they, to? Yeah. If they tell us that, we need to go on a lower fiber diet, but I'm already on a low fiber diet. Why is that? Dig a right. little deeper and you might mm-hmm. find some, you know, some su- surprises, I suppose. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's uncomfortable truths, right? This is, this is all uncomfortable. This goes against what we've learned. This goes against, wait, you mean my government's lying to me? And it's not so much that maybe they're lying per se, it's just they're being infiltrated. And, and even then, then, my message is always ask questions. Don't even believe anything we've said. Yes. Everything. Go look look it up. You know, pause and rewind and go look it up and ask make sure we're on point. Ask, ask us for our sources. Ask us for our sources. Ask us why we're teaching that. Absolutely. Um, and we make mistakes too. So that's great. Catch one of our mistakes and be like, oh, no, it's not 70%. It's 60%. Great. That's mm-hmm. excellent. We should all be doing that more. We should all be investigating. I think we've gone full circle on the conversation. You referred early to science and what it is. And science is that exactly. It's continually asking the questions, kind of, you know, making new hypotheses and challenging old ways of doing things mm-hmm. and continually finding our way to the latest and greatest and most factual way Mm -hmm. of going about things. So I think we'll end it there, guys. It's been an epic talk. I can, (laughs) there's so many topics in my head that I feel like we could come back and do another few podcasts in the future. So I reckon we can line that up and and really get specific on on some other topics. Totally. Totally. Yeah. We'd love that. It's been awesome, guys. Yeah. It's been great. So guys, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It was awesome uh, to, to hear from you. And yeah, look forward to to hopefully future episodes. Yeah, us too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Cheers. Hi, guys. We made it. Possibly the longest Veg Talk podcast to date, but boy, was it a good one. What did you guys think? 
James and Dahlia are a super passionate couple and a credible wealth of information online as well. If you're not following them already, I suggest you get over to their page. It's Married to Health on Instagram. If you've been enjoying the show, your support really does help us reach more people around the globe. The easiest way to do this is leave a review and rating through the iTunes or Apple Podcast app, or you can share the episode you've just listened to on social media. Don't forget to tag us at VegTalk. Lastly, we do have a Patreon page. You can follow the link in our Instagram bio if you'd like to leave a donation of any size in return for our work. If you've been following along, this is a 100% self-funded project at this point in time. So any of the previously mentioned forms of support are greatly appreciated. Please don't underestimate your contribution to this show. That's all for today, guys. So until next week's episode, keep it plant-based. I look forward to catching up with you then.